The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. Let's begin with prayer and then we will chat about suffering via persecution. Father, we are grateful for the time and opportunity and people with which to meet and talk about your word and um, these are heavy things that we've been considering. Help us not to make light of them. Help us with uh, sober-mindedness to consider what your word says and where we need a change of attitude, perspective, action. Um, help us by your spirit to align our lives more with your word, whatever the cost of that. Um, as we think about persecution today, uh, we recognize that may take many forms and has taken many forms throughout the ages. Uh, we do want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world suffering intense persecution even today in very hard places. Um, may we be inspired by their endurance to stay the course no matter the cost socially, relationally, with our jobs, with our families. Uh, we don't know exactly what forms that will take in our lives, and so we pray for endurance to run the race with faithfulness and for our brothers and sisters who are enduring great hardship for following Christ. Uh, help us to remember them because we are in the same body. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> um, normally I would start by looking back a couple weeks and I will do that, but I also want to look ahead a couple weeks because we're almost through uh, this building block. We have today, we have next Sunday the 28th, and then we have the first Sunday in February, and that's it. So um, we're talking about persecution today. Next week, I'm going to go back to something I said, I think it was last Sunday, on God being primarily motivated by His glory and I kind of just threw that out there as a blanket statement with no biblical defense. And so we're going to actually spend next week, I think it's next week, um, looking at a biblical defense for why does God do what God does? Um, and then why should we pursue the same thing? So that'll be next week. The week after that, our final week, we're planning to talk about Christian contentment in the midst of suffering. And so that's kind of a look ahead to the coming weeks. Um, for today now, as we tend to look backwards as a reminder, a couple weeks ago we talked about relieving physical suffering, whether that's poverty or, uh, you know, what we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the idea of social justice. And um, we said it requires believers to maintain a posture of love towards all people, people as we consider the moral proximity to the need and the priority of the need. So we talked about those kind of concentric circles of our family, the local church, the global church, and then ever-widening circles into uh, you know, the world around us. And then last week we talked about how suffering showcases God's glory, prompting believers to proclaim the gospel, live with integrity, and trust in God's justice. And so today... Um, we're going to talk about persecution. Um, we've talked a lot about or excuse me, about suffering that comes from the fact that we live in a fallen world, uh, from which you know is common to all people. 
Uh, cancer uh, doesn't seem to be a respecter of persons, if you will. Um, then there is God's loving discipline on His people. There are consequences that come from our own sin and foolishness, not because God's wrath remains toward us, that's been removed in Christ, but there are consequences uh, of various kinds for sin and foolishness, and that's related to God's loving discipline on His children. All of these things fall under God's providence. So it's not that you put like living in a fallen world over here and God's discipline over here and say, well, God's in charge of the discipline, but He's not in charge of, you know, earthquakes. All of these things are under God's sovereign and good providence. But the trials and suffering that meet us um, branch out differently from that, if you will. But today we're going to narrow our focus. Uh, and if you've got a packet, we're talking about a type of suffering that is unique to being a follower of Jesus. type of suffering that is unique to being a follower of Jesus is persecution for His sake. So when you think of persecution for the sake of the gospel, kind of throw this out there for discussion out of the gate, what do you think of? I think I'm like you. My mind tends to go to faraway lands where um, people and especially governments are actively working against Christians through uh, violence, imprisonment, the uh, seizing of property, even death. Probably a lot of us think about Jim Elliot and his uh, uh, compatriots and situations like that. So I'm like you. I think my mind tends to go to something that happens to other people elsewhere primarily, or at least first. We're just not going to give you the opportunity. Yeah. Okay, so in, like, in the marketplace of ideas, you have the, um, maybe a diff we would say maybe a different kind of persecution. Um, alienation, um, I'm not other sure what other words you would use to describe that, but I'm, I'm with you on that. There, there was a guy. I worked at the university um, back in 2008, 2008 to 2010. I worked at UA, and I had a very, uh, it wasn't even explicitly Christian, email signature. Uh, and so anytime I sent an email, it ended with like, uh, like God bless you, and it had my name. And my boss told me I had to remove it. Um, and that, you know, that's, like I said, that was not explicitly Christian, but to have God in my email signature was not permissible. Um, now, that's not like a woe is me, oh, I'm being persecuted. Like, I think when we look at our brothers and sisters, like in, you know, China, North Korea, places all over the world, we go, okay, that's very intense. But that's not to say that the um, that sort of thing happening, whether it's in higher education or, or just workplaces in general, it's not nothing. There is something there, uh, a bias against um, Christianity in particular, or like you said, uh, maybe even more broadly, any notion of something beyond a materialistic view of the world. Timothy? Timothy? 
you know, the, the, the light shining into the darkness, if you love the darkness, then you will hate the light. And that is true of no one more than the Lord himself. But then we being made into his image uh, can expect the same kind of treatment. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you, Peter says. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, um, I think we can see maybe a spectrum of things as, you know, relatively minor as being told you can't have God in your email signature to people being killed for their faith. The it, Kind of back to the, uh, the packet here, whatever it is that we're calling persecution is that which comes because of our connection to Jesus. Matthew 5.11, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I actually think that Jesus is... Words there help us see something of the broad nature of what we're talking about with persecution. There's reviling, uttering all kinds of evil against you falsely. There's a, this is a multifaceted kind of thing that happens to the people of God for the sake of our connection to Jesus. To try to define it a little bit, persecution might be defined as opposition or harassment that comes because we are Christians. And again, that could take a wide range of intensity. You know, we're told in Hebrews to remember, or the, the, the Christians in Hebrews are commended for their love for those who were mistreated and having their property seized. We're told to remember those in prison because we're in the same body. It may be losses of job or opportunities with a vocation. Um, in, in this body, we pray frequently, uh, really pretty much every Tuesday when we gather for prayer meetings, for members of our church and um, relationships, especially marriage relationships with unbelievers. Um, where where the people of God are in contact with those who are outside of Christ, we can expect there to be many different forms of opposition. Persecution is unique, though, because it comes with a choice to avoid it by concealing or denying our allegiance to Jesus. It's sort of interesting to think about it that way. You know, we talk about suffering of various kinds, whether it's the diagnosis or, you know, the difficult relationship, or, or, or whatever it is, but persecution is the kind of suffering that you actually have some say in whether or not you're going to do it, because if you're not identifying yourself with Jesus, then that removes the reason for the persecution. And so the great temptation that comes with persecution is withdrawing from the fellowship of believers, and from identifying publicly with Christ. That's actually, I think, underlying the book of Hebrews that, uh, that we're in now, is the temptation for these 
presumably Jewish Christians, to withdraw from Christian community because of persecution. And so it seems what the temptation is in Hebrews is for them to retreat back into Judaism where they're not facing that sort of persecution. You know, Paul talks about the offense of the cross being removed in preaching, um, you know, legalistic Judaism. And so we can avoid or attempt to avoid persecution by not identifying with Jesus, which is a, a particular and insidious kind of temptation. Um, persecution can include hatred. John fifteen nineteen. Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Sometimes that opposition or harassment takes the form of hatred. Clear case of uh, persecution, you know, in the beginning of the New Testament is what happens with John the Baptist. Um, of course, the, the treatment of the Lord himself obviously is, is held high as uh, the paramount example. But then you see his people, you know, in Acts, like beginning with Stephen, the persecution that we talked about last week uh, in chapter 8, verse 1, where the great persecution arose and the disciples began to spread into surrounding regions. So um, it's a very difficult thing that we don't want to minimize in any way, but we also see God superintending those things for good. So in Acts, you see um, the, the gospel going forward, not despite the persecution, but because of it. It was instrumental in it. Um, but it can include hatred. Um, it can include being mocked or slandered. First Peter 4, 3 and 4 says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So Timothy talked about the idea of you know, shining a light, living with integrity, gave it the example of Daniel, and how that can raise the ire of people um, who are not Christians and who do not have regard for God or, or what he says. Uh, and so when we do not join people in that same kind of living, Peter says we can be maligned for it. Hated, mocked, slandered, maligned. Persecution can include being betrayed and handed over to governing officials for punishment. So when we think about you know, other places in the world where um, governments take a much more intense anti-Christian stance, perhaps where Christianity is outlawed or where it's illegal to own a Bible or um, where evangelism is illegal, Christ persecution can include being betrayed. Jesus says as much in Luke 21, 12, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. So he's preparing his disciples for this kind of treatment. Of course, some people are killed or imprisoned for following Jesus. As Paul reflects on his treatment of Christians, he says in Acts 22.4, I persecuted this way to the death. 
binding and delivering to prison both men and women. So that is something of a start on what persecution is. Wide array of different kinds of things that could happen to a person for the sake of their connection to Jesus. Yeah, I think that, in a way, I think that's underlying everything that we're talking about because, you know, Ephesians 2 talks about unbelievers and believers before they were Christians being subject to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So that, that hatred and attitude towards Christians doesn't just happen in a vacuum. There, there are spiritual realities here that are at work in all of these things, in a, in a world that still under the, the providential rule and reign of God, Satan is allowed a measure of authority, Maybe authority is not the right word, but influence, power. Um, and certainly, that, that, like you said, it can take more overt spiritual forms like pagan cursing and calling on demons and that sort of thing. Um, I would say that the, that the committed atheist is no less under satanic influence than that person is although it's taken different, different forms. Which is interesting because um, when you look at the worldviews out there, it's not that Christians are just on the receiving end from people who reject God altogether, although there is that, but it's also from other religions and cults and um, belief about various divinities <laughs> you'll say well actually a very wise man once told me and you'll be talking about Timothy not me um, okay why is it important to persevere under persecution this first section is a recap of something we talked about word for word I think early on so I'm going to blaze through this um, because of God's good purposes. We spent a week talking about God's good purposes, His revealed purposes for suffering. So it's important to persevere under persecution because God has good purposes in them. To grow us in holiness, to build perseverance, to grow us in maturity, to teach us His Word. Oh, they're on the board. To, in, to help us encourage others and to wean us off self-reliance. So we spent a week talking about God's revealed purposes for suffering, and that is just a kind of a brief synopsis as a reminder that persevering in the midst of persecution is important among other reasons because of God's good purposes in it. Another reason is because it is a normal part of of following Jesus. Paul says very plainly in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What's that? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we've talked about suffering in a variety of ways, being an attention getter. Pain does that. So it's a normal part of following Jesus. Another reason is because the gospel is offensive. This is what I was referencing a few minutes ago, Galatians 5.11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The gospel is offensive because it tells people they are not fundamentally good, they stand under God's wrath, and they cannot save themselves. I can remember Rebecca and I had some adoption training when we were, I think it's when we were in the process of adopting Josiah. And they give you all these videos to watch and these things to go to to kind of learn um, you know, needs that adopted children will have and things that you can do to help care for them and parent them well. And I can remember we were watching this video series and the, the narrator kept saying, we just reiterate to our children, you're, just, you're good at the core. You're good at the core. We just tell our children all the time, you're good at the core. And I think I told the people in our adoption agency, I was like, that is just not true. That is not true at all. That is so far from true, I could never imagine saying that to my kids. Um, because at what point did they go from being good at the core to what we've got now? And how did I go from being good at the core to who I am now with all of the things that I sin and struggle with and the things that I find myself wanting and desiring and thinking and saying? How did I go from being good at the core to this? Um, maybe if we're being super charitable, we can hope that that's what they were driving at. Um, I don't think so, Charlie, um, but I'm not as nice as you. But the gospel is offensive because it tells people you are not good at the core. You stand condemned under the wrath of God, and you cannot save yourself. So there is an offense to the gospel that means whatever opposition that we face shouldn't surprise us. It is, it is news. And it is news that is very personal in nature. You've got to do something with this news. And another reason to seek to persevere under persecution is because it glorifies God. Colossians 1.24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Um, th this can be a, a, a verse that's easily misunderstood or, or confusing because Paul says that something is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. And so when we hear that, we kind of you know, bristle at it, like what could be lacking in Christ's affliction? It, it's not that his atoning work was somehow insufficient and Paul has to carry it over the finish line. What's lacking is that the value of his suffering for salvation is not known. Paul's suffering for the sake of the gospel is a means by which God is advancing the knowledge of Jesus. He uses means 
One of the means that he uses is the suffering and even the persecution that his people face. So Christ's suffering for salvation is not known and trusted in the world. Paul's suffering and our, our suffering testifies to the gospel and so in that way fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We are instruments, we are means that God is pleased to use. All right, how can I be faithful under persecution? While there may be seasons of relative peace, we should have a readiness for suffering and not be surprised when it happens. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I remember talking about higher education, Charlie. I can remember when I was in grad school, I had a, um, I had a class with a professor who, um, she's uh, not American, she's a New Zealander. And I can't even remember how the topic of Christianity uh, came up, but it was not uncommon for her to use opportunities to bash uh, Christians, and especially Christians in the South, um, in her class. And I think she, at some point she, she knew that I was a Christian, and so she said one of these things in front of me and was kind of like, ooh, oh, like, you know, I meant what I said, but I'm sorry I said it in front of him. And I think at the time, I was a very young Christian, and it probably... I needed 1 Peter 4.12 at the moment. Not that I could look back and call that a fiery trial necessarily. Or, you know, again, this is not... Nobody was throwing me in handcuffs and taking me to jail for my Christian witness. But Christians were being slandered uh, publicly. And I think I found it very surprising at the time. I think I was expecting, you know... Some people believe in Jesus, some people don't believe in Jesus. But the people who don't believe in Jesus, it's not like they're going like, to have bad things to say about following Jesus. I mean, who would, who would do that? Um, but that was sort of an eye-opening thing for me as a young Christian, that you know, it, Christians were being slandered in the context of a class that had nothing to do with Christianity or Christians. And it was... Uh, I think pretty widely approved of for her comments. So there may be seasons of relative peace, but we should have a readiness for this kind of suffering and not be surprised when it happens. We can be faithful under persecution by rejoicing knowing that our reward is great. This is an extended version of Matthew 5 that we read earlier. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, we have the idea of Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So Jesus tells his people, you're blessed in facing this kind of treatment, not because it's so wonderful, but because there is a greater reward coming. And this has been common to the people of God. People who represent the Lord face this kind of treatment in the world. 
So readiness, rejoicing in a great reward that is coming. Rejoice in greater assurance. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice how this is structured. Peter says, You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, we're talking about assurance. The idea is when we face this kind of treatment because of our association with Jesus, it provides an assurance that we do have a real association with Jesus. One of the ways that God testifies to His children that we belong to Him is the suffering that we endure because of our connection to Him. God in His kindness does not waste persecution and suffering. He uses it to testify to the fact that we belong to Him. We can rejoice in God who is unchangingly gracious. Rejoicing is kind of a common theme of being faithful under persecution. Look at Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? That's kind of similar to the idea from Matthew 5 of the great inheritance that we have in and with Christ. Paul reminds us in Romans 8 that that came at the cost of God not sparing His own Son, but giving Him up, up, giving him up for us all. So He is unchangingly gracious. We, we can meditate on the truths of God's unchanging nature and His grace and compassion and kindness to us in order to endure whatever persecution we may be facing. And... To bring up the idea that uh, Myra brought up at the beginning, it can also help shape our prayers for our brothers and sisters around the world. One of the things, you know, I think when we, when we talk about persecution, and I tried to be mindful of that this morning, is if you get to the point where you look at your life and you go, I'm not really facing really a whole lot for following Jesus. Uh, my, maybe m- most of your family, if not all of your close family or believers, um, your relations, maybe your work, maybe you are blessed to be surrounded by just believers by and large in your life. And so there's not really, you're not feeling much in the way of persecution. I think it's easy to be in that kind of situation and go, well, I guess I'm blessed in that way. Whether or not you are in that situation, we all need to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering in great ways. So I hope it's a reminder of how we can be in prayer for our brothers and sisters that they would have a readiness, 
that they would have an awareness of the great reward in Christ and that would help them endure, that it would testify to their own spirits that they belong to God and would have a fresh joy in knowing that they belong to Him, that they would rejoice in His grace. Um, one of the things that we do on Wednesday nights with our kids, and I can't remember if I've talked about this in here or not, so forgive me if I have, we typically will pick a, a country or a part of the world each month and pray for unreached people in that country and for Christians who are persecuted in that country. And so this month, for example, we're praying for a specific people group in Malaysia and that are unreached, and we are praying for Christians who are persecuted in Malaysia. If that's something that you're interested in doing, in praying for either persecuted Christians or unreached people around the world, there's some really good resources out there. Voice of the Martyrs is a, is a great one for learning about and praying for um, the persecuted church. The IMB has some good resources on um, unreached peoples. They typically will release like a 52-week prayer guide for people groups around the world who are considered um, unengaged and unreached. Uh, I know we're talking more really about the, the persecution side, but I have found that the discussion about persecution often, especially for people who live in you know, 21st century United States, where um, I, I think we could say historically we would be described more of a time of relative peace than the open kind of hostility that we see some brothers and sisters facing around the world. Although that may, that may change, and I think we've seen a shift even in recent decades over the cost of following Jesus, whether it's in the workplace, higher education, or, or whatever. But I do think it's good for us to be reminded about brothers and sisters around the world um, and to pray for them. So Voice of the Martyrs, again, is a, is a good organization um, that can provide you with information and help you think about specific ways you could pray for or help uh, Christians who are suffering. And then lastly, um, we can rejoice that the life of Jesus is manifest to others. This is a familiar passage from 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul is helping us see the spiritual realities behind the persecution. It's intense, it's painful. At times Paul said they were given to despair of life itself. God reminded them that it was so that they would learn to depend on him and not themselves. But they're they're not crushed, they're not driven to despair, they're not forsaken, they're not destroyed. They're carrying around the, in their bodies the death of Jesus, he says, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in them. So Christian suffering is a showing forth of who Jesus is. 
We're, we're showing people in our suffering, in our persecution. We're manifesting the life of Jesus to other people. If the goal is the glory of God, and if the means by which He is intending to bring Himself glory through His church is through the making and maturing of disciples, the preaching of the gospel, calling sinners to repentance, if He is using our suffering to show forth Jesus to people, then in that we rejoice. So readiness... Rejoicing in the reward that is coming. Rejoicing in the assurance that comes by means of suffering with and on account of Christ. Rejoicing in God Himself who is unchangingly gracious. And in how God uses it to show forth Christ to the world through us. Thoughts as we close on persecution or any examples in your own like I gave you you know a couple in my own life of some kind of opposition to Christianity and the gospel that I have experienced albeit not severe did did we do didn't we have like a church movie night with tortured for Christ a few years ago does that ring any bells with anybody yeah, that it, I think that's, that's the passage that we just read at the end. Was it, We are manifesting in our bodies the death of Christ. We're showing people this is who the one true God is and what He has done in and through His Son. And by the power of His Spirit, as we're transformed more into His image, it comes back to what we said from, uh, what is it, 2 Peter 3.15, being ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Um, the gospel transforms the life of a person and leaves people with questions about how is it that you could stare down the, the barrel of a gun or you know, the, the government coming for you or, or, or whatever it is, or the slander at work. Why is that worth it? I mean, if you could just say, no, I'm not a Christian, it would all be over. I mean, what's the big deal? And we're saying, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And... No one comes to the Father except through Him. I'm, he, he, he is my only way. Um, <clears throat> it makes me like just want to go like order a hundred Bibles and like <laughs> yeah. just like. <laughs> my stack of Bibles. This is my stack of MREs. <laughs> Yeah, I live in a bunker now, oh, but I have plenty of Bibles to read. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray together as we, as we close. Lord, help us to be ready and not surprised at these kinds of things. We know that any hatred we experience on account of following Christ was first experienced by Him. He is the true light, and a world in darkness hates the light. And so where we experience that, we pray for the attitude and demeanor of the disciples who rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer 
we recognize that for many of us, certainly me, that is not my instinctive response to facing opposition or persecution for following Jesus. And so we pray that you would grant us that, that we would look forward to the reward, that we would be reminded in suffering and persecution that this world as it is is not our home, but that you are renewing all things and you will glorify us, that these things pale by comparison to the glory that we will be revealed to us. As we suffer, as we and our brothers and sisters around the world face this kind of treatment, we pray for endurance, we pray for patience, we pray for supernatural love for our enemies, uh, we pray for wisdom, uh, we pray for those that are suffering now, that even today are looking at death, imprisonment, uh, being separated from their families, having their homes seized, churches being burned to the ground. Would you grant your people a love for you and a joy in you that is so amazing that people cannot help but stand in awe and ask, and that you would use even that for the proclamation of the gospel and the growth and edification of your people. You can do all things. No one can thwart your hand. And so we pray for you to exercise your strong arm in saving people and building up your church. We thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Our hope is in you, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.